Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. I am Steve Johnson. Um, the reason why I'm recording this today is because I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding in the church, outside of the church, um, people who have been professed believers for a long time, people who want nothing to do really with the Bible or being a Christian, but who've heard certain things and think that that's what the Bible teaches or that's what the Bible says or that's what Jesus is like or what God is like or whatever. And this is something that's not really unique to our culture or it's not it's not unique to our time, I should say. Um, there's always been I mean, people are always going to misunderstand things, misrepresent things, misinterpret things. Um, not even intentionally. Sometimes it's completely unintentional. But that's going to happen. Um, there have been times in church history where the holiness of God has been emphasized to such a degree that people saw him as a hateful tyrant who's sitting up in heaven with lightning bolts in his hands just waiting for somebody to mess up so he can zap them and fry, fry those suckers and send them to hell to burn for eternity. If that is your view of God somebody who is bloodthirsty just waiting to do that and is looking forward to it that's not an accurate view of God at all and that persisted especially in now I'm not going to say even very recently but definitely in centuries past um, that was a I feel like a much bigger thing than it is now So now we've got this other thing going on, it feels like, in the church, where, you know, I don't, let me back up a minute, I've only been a Christian since the year 2000, now that's 20 years ago, that's a, you know, that's a, a quarter of an average life expectancy right now, so I guess for all intents and purposes, you could say 20 to 25, that's 20 to 25 percent of my life. <laughs> um, so it's not really, I say only 20 years, it's actually, it's a pretty long time. I've been, a, but my, my point is I've been a Christian since the year 2000, about the end of the year 2000. So um, I have studied to some degree the movements of the past, you know, everybody's, m most people who've been a Christian on more than a surface level or just called themselves that by name are, you know, they, they're familiar with things like the Reformation, they're familiar with uh, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, um, classic historical Christian figures, John Wesley, and a lot of Johns in church history, including the Apostle John and John the Baptist, but um, 
So I'm familiar with church history, um, the, but I would say that there are other aspects of history, particularly American history, that I'm and modern history that I'm more familiar with. Stuff from my time frame, you know, when I was born, going forward. A lot of people's perspective of history begins when they were born. Uh, that seems to be the only thing they care about. Everything else is old and outdated. It doesn't matter for today. I don't believe that. But I'm acknowledging the fact that um, um, when it gets to like the early church stuff, I'm pretty familiar with that. I like reading about the early church because I feel like the best way to understand what the writers of the Bible mean with certain things is to number one, read what they write. That's why I like the inductive method of Bible study and uh, the precept ministries uh, thing in particular, like I've been doing with the uh, Genesis study, which again, for those of you who don't know, has moved over to my blog and I've been doing it on there lately. So if you want to continue that Genesis study, that's where you're going to find that. So, um, but the, the best way to know what the people that teach the Bible meant is, or, or, the, or the people that the people that God used to write the Bible. What do they mean by that? Well, the closer you can get to the writers themselves, the more that the more accurate your information is going to be. It's the same thing with any other any other period of history, like uh, the American founders. You know, there's all this debate back and forth, all this argument of, oh, well, um, you know, the the founders meant this, and then somebody else says, oh, no, the founders meant that. And, uh, oh, the Constitution means this. Oh, no, the Constitution means that. And all this back and forth. Well, a lot of these things can be solved by going back to the time of the, the writing of it, looking at the writings of the people who, okay, what did that mean to them? That's a good, uh, that's the best way to go about biblical interpretation. It's the best way to go about historical interpretation. It's the best way to go about current interpretation. If, if I, okay, um, let's say that I say something that's controversial. And, or something that somebody takes in a controversial way. Is it better to ask half a dozen people what they think about what I said and what they think I meant? Or are you going to get more accurate information to by looking at what I said, asking me what I meant, and then comparing that to other things that I've said at other times, rather than going to other sources to get that information? That's why, you know, uh, uh, journalism... Uh, you know, rather than looking at what Media Matters says about something that Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or Michael Brown or fill in the blank, uh, right, you know, right, right wing watch people, all that. A lot of a lot of uh, news agencies will look at Media Matters, right wing, right wing watch. I hate saying that because it's so hard to uh, for me to get out. But so many people will go to those sources. Well, did you hear what they said? And they'll, but they'll report it from these watchdog groups. 
Well, that's what they said. Rather than going to the actual clip of what they said, listening to it in context. Oh, here's what he meant. Good example of this. Well, two examples come to my mind off the top of my head. Is uh, both related to Rush Limbaugh. One is uh, when President Obama got elected. In, uh, and they were doing the transition from Bush, the Bush administration to the Obama administration. And uh, I think it was Time Magazine, not sure, but I think it was Time Magazine, um, had asked uh, a, not random, but a wide-ranging group of people with differing opinions what they hoped for in like 200 words or less, what do you hope for from the next administration, meaning the incoming Obama administration? And they asked Rush Limbaugh. And he said, I only need four words. I hope he fails. Now, a lot of, and he, a lot of people jumped on that. How could you say you want the president to fail? How could you say that that's cruel, that's mean, that's terrible? Uh, you want the country to fail. You don't care if Americans are harmed. You, you, you want the president to fail and you want the country to suffer because you, because you didn't get your way or the person you wanted to win didn't. That's not at all what he meant. And he went into detail about what he meant on his radio show. Many, 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 many times. What he meant was President Obama is a leftist with who he is a socialist, definitely has socialist tendencies. <laughs> uh, Obamacare, on and on and on. Uh, socialized health care, uh, spreading the wealth around, confiscatory tax rates, all that stuff definitely uh, socialist tendencies, if not an outright socialist who's just not willing to come right out and say so. But his whole point was, Obama's a leftist, socialist, whatever, and if he succeeds, then the country fails because those policies don't work. That ideology doesn't work. That leftist socialist ideology does more harm than good. So I want the president to fail because that is what he wants to implement. So if he succeeds, then that means he has succeeded in implementing his agenda. And if he implements his agenda, if he succeeds, then the country fails because it's going to nosedive America's influence in the world, it's going to nosedive our economy, it's going to, you know, our entire way of life is going to be altered. And that's, for the most part, what happened. Obama succeeded and the country did fail for most of those eight years. Well, really all those eight years. Um, any successes that America had were in spite of the president and his policies, not because of them. And there wasn't much success to be had. But that was what he meant. I hope he fails wasn't 
a personal attack by I hope his life goes down the toilet and I hope he has a miserable life and it wasn't I want to see America have a doomsday scenario because I didn't get my way in the election and it might help us win in 2012 that's not what he said what he meant was I hope he fails meaning I hope he fails in implementing the policies that he has said he supports and that he would do and if he fails in doing that then a country might have hope. But, and, the, a lot of the people who reported on it, I guarantee you, knew that's what he meant. But they made it out to be something totally different. But my point in bringing that up here is, is it better to read that statement, I hope he fails, and then listen to a bun bunch of pundits talk about how offensive that is and how upsetting that is and how and, and interpret that through their own lens of what they think that means. Or would it have been better if journalists cared about fairness and actually getting to the truth, which most of them don't. But hypothetically speaking, is it better for the journalist or for the average citizen for that matter to listen to what the pundits say, to listen to what um, a bunch of people who are outraged by that, you know, to listen to them and get, make that your primary source of information, what they say? Or is it better to go to the source? What did he say? Well, what could he have meant by that? It wasn't even like a day or two hadn't even passed. Maybe the next day after that, after that was released. And he was going into this detailed explanation of what he meant. You're going to get a lot more accurate information if you go to the source, listen to what the source had to say, and then listen to everything else they said to bring further context to it. Now, once you've done that, you can then make a determination. Is this person being honest? Are they being genuine? Are they really telling the truth? Or are they just BSing and trying to cover their butt? But, at least then, you're coming at it, you're, at the very least, you are trying to understand what the source, the original source, is trying to say before. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore commentary. That doesn't mean that you ignore listening to what others have to say about it. Because others can bring historical perspective to what someone has said and go, yeah, they said this, but they overhear... Um, 11 other times they said something completely different. That's completely legitimate and fine. I'm not saying we should ignore listening to what others have to say about things. But if you, if your primary source is what somebody else is saying and you don't even look at what the, the, what the person actually said and what they explained about what they said, if you don't even factor that in, then you're really doing a disservice to whoever you're speaking to or whoever you're writing to or you're even just yourself. You're doing a disservice to yourself because you're not being the most informed person that you can be. Another example of this, again, involving Rush Limbaugh. Um, and it was another Barack Obama example. There was an um, article written by, or an editorial, I believe, written by someone for the Los Angeles Times back in, during the 2008 campaign. And it was during the 2008 Democratic primary between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. 
And an L.A. Times editorial was titled, Barack the Magic Negro. So then talk radio jumped onto that, specifically Rush Limbaugh, and said, let, um, this was, a, I believe, a Hillary supporter, did an article, did an L.A. Times editorial titled, Barack the Magic Negro. So Rush goes on the air and says, you know, let a conservative say something like that. Let a conservative say Barack the Magic Negro. And they would be raked over the coals, be called racist, be called, uh, they would, you know, the cancel culture, which back then I don't think that was the term, but it's existed for longer than the term has, so I'm going to use it. The cancel, the cancel culture would, you know, demand that the person be fired, be removed from their uh, job, or lose their livelihood, whatever, you know, the, the Twitter mob, the social media mob be coming after them like crazy. That, that's just what, what happens. Uh, you know, don't let this person come speak at our college campus because they're a hate monger. On and on and on. Let somebody on the right say that, and that's what happens. But a Hillary supporter during a primary can say that, and it's fine. So then, sometime after that, still during the primary, but sometime after that, Rush does uh, his show does a parody with uh, Paul Shanklin. Uh, and it's called Barack the Magic Negro. It was a song that was in the parody sung by Al Sharpton where he's got this megaphone and he's singing Barack the Magic Negro there in D.C. The L.A. Times, they called him that because he's black but not authentically. And... And what they were doing, they were they were quoting the actual editorial and what was said by this L.A. Times editorial by this Hillary supporter. That's what they were doing. And but once that song came out on Russia's radio show, all of a sudden this turned into. Well, Rush Limbaugh is a racist. Did you hear this racist song that he put on the radio? He called Barack Obama the magic Negro. If that's not racist, I don't know what is. So the story became Rush Limbaugh is a racist because he called Barack Obama a magic Negro in a parody song. Never did that. He was quoting one of the people on their side on the because the media is mostly leftist and liberal leaning if not just outright and out, out and outright left to socialists themselves that's what's happening to the has happened to the news media for a long time uh, my point is is that they did not go to the original source because again once this controversy started he goes on there look I'm not a racist I didn't call Barack Obama the magic negro people on your side did that and all I was doing was illustrating their absurdity by being absurd. All I was doing was saying, hey, uh, using parody, using satire to, to, make, um, to make a point that this is ridiculous, this is dumb, this is racist, or this is, you know, 
or this is a, at the very least, if it's not racist, it's a double standard that somebody on their side can say that during a primary, but if somebody on our side says that we're um, racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, whatever. So that's the point. That's what he was trying to to get across there, but. The people reporting on it didn't go to the original source. Well, where did that come from? Why did he say that? Because he has explained, just like with the other thing, over and over and over again what he meant. And if you don't, if you miss the radio show live, uh, we're in the age of the internet. Everything is archived. They do transcripts of everything Rush says, and it's free. The uh, just go to the website, go to the search, type in Barack the Magic Negro. And you will get this full, simple explanation from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But they don't do that. They just go, um, well, that's racist and that's whatever. And this happens all the time. It's not just with Rush Limbaugh. Those are just the two examples I came, came up with um, off the top of my head. But this happens all the time, and it happens to so many people. And it happens in pers uh, personal life, too. Um, somebody accuses you of something. And they, they concoct this story about how you are as a person, how terrible and awful you are. And they spread that around to whoever will listen. And then that person ends up losing friends, colleagues, uh, whatever, uh, strained relationships with family. Because rather than going to that person and saying, hey, did you do this? Hey, did you say this? Well, if you did, or you, if you did do that or say that, why did you say that? I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Why, what's, why are you doing this? No, they'll just, but a lot of times people will just, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I can't believe so-and-so did that or said that. Well, I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. That tells me something about them. Rather than going to the person, finding out if what they said is what they meant. or no, Well, yeah, if what they said is what they meant. But rather than going to them, they're like, okay, what did you mean by that? Did you really mean this? And then if they did... Um, there you go. You've at least confirmed it with the source. Or, again, you listen to somebody's explanation, and if it sounds like they're BSing you, then maybe they are, and you can still act accordingly. But my point is not to say that, again, it's not to say that we should never read or look at what somebody else says. It's that the, the original source of where something comes from should be given some weight and I say I say a whole lot of weight because they're the ones that are actually saying it. That's why I, I like autobiographies much more than I like biographies. Some biographies are extremely good. I like them and I read them. But I would much rather hear I would much rather read George W. Bush's Decision Points book than I would uh, books by a dozen reporters about what they think of the Bush presidency. Now I'm going to read those other things and factor that into my storehouse of information about him. But if I do if I read those other things and I discount 
what the original source himself is saying, then I don't understand where he's coming. I don't really understand where he's coming from. At the very least, even if I don't agree with him, I can understand, okay, here's his thought process. Here's what he's thinking. And even if I don't agree with this, here's how he got there. And I can understand that a lot more than assigning motives that once I, that once I read it are not there. Okay? So that's why... I, th I say that original sources are important. And to bring this back to my original topic, you know, lest you think that I lost my place, I didn't. Hang on, I've got a phone call coming. Okay, I'm back. I'm sorry for that. Um, I had to take a little pause there, which for you wasn't even a second. But So I apologize because I lost my train of thought a little bit. But I think it's been... Uh, probably 20 minutes since I was back to recording so if I lose my train of thought or from the last thing I said I apologize but my point in bringing all this up and using these examples is to say that and I haven't lost my place on uh, my original point of my subject or topic so if you thought I lost my place I, I haven't I, I brought up all those examples of the politics and the other things for a reason. That is that if we go to original sources and we we really look at what an original source has to say, whether we are examining what somebody said in real time or what we heard about somebody else to avoid you know gossip and things like that, or if we are um, talking about um, historical matters or whatever. The closer you can get to the original source, the better. If you want to know what the Constitution says, read, or, or well, if you want to know what the Constitution says, read it. If you want to know what it means, continue reading. Look at the words for what they are, not just for what they mean today, but what did they mean at the time that it was written? What did they mean to the original audience, what did they mean to the people who put it together? And you can ascertain that by looking at their other writings, because the the people who a lot of the people who were involved in that, maybe all of them, it doesn't just have um, you know it's it's not just that's not the only thing they ever wrote or the only thing they ever said. All those people were public figures who had speeches that were written down um, and that, that still exist today. They had other writings, things that they wrote, other things that they said, um, a lot of personal letters and personal diaries, all that stuff. If you want to know what somebody meant and you get an all-encompassing view of what they mean when they say things or about the life and character of a person, there's a whole lot available. You just got to take the time to do it. It's 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 an act of laziness to not do that. If journalists did that, journalism would be a lot better, but that's not their interest because they have agendas that they're trying to push forward. And but if you can go to original and that's not always possible. Um you know, other than the four gospels, there's really no other reliable record of the life of Jesus. Um, so, but, and 
we don't have there are some letters that Paul wrote for example we have first and second Corinthians but there are other letters to the Corinthian church that he wrote that were not preserved um, and thus were not included in, in scripture um, you know, because they don't uh, we don't we don't have those so we can't add something that's not there but okay for example the Apostle John he wrote 1st 2nd 3rd John the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation right well we can get a pretty good idea of what John meant when he wrote those letters by reading them number one number two he had disciples he had other people who came after him people that he taught people that he invested in people that he that personally knew him that continued his work after he passed either both while he was still alive and after he passed there were younger people who came after him who continued what he was doing well if we go to what those people said then we're more likely if there's some if there's something controversial in the scripture maybe that we don't understand it's best to start by going closer to the original source now some of those other disciples uh, um, I'm trying to think of the name of some of them came to mind I'm struggling to do that at the moment but uh, I want to say Polycarp but I don't want to get that uh, that wrong yeah yeah he was uh, Polycarp was a disciple of John and um, so if we look at what if, if there's some question about something that John meant, what I'm trying to say is we're going to get a lot closer to reliable information by looking at the people that he knew, looking at the people that John knew, what did they write about him, all that, than we are, than say if we look at some New Testament professor that's writing in 2015 well this is what I think John meant or in 2020 this is what I think John meant when he said that well number one what did John write number two what did the people who knew him say about him we're gonna get a lot more accurate information the farther we go back than we are from people who are writing books or making statements based off of the books and statements of others who weren't the contemporaries of the people involved. Again, I'm not saying that there's no value in modern scholarship. I'm saying that we should give even more weight to and more value to original sources and those closest to the original source than we should to commentaries about commentaries about commentaries if that makes sense so why did I lay that half hour long foundation because I feel like that's what we sometimes get when we look at the life of Jesus 
We have the four Gospels. We have what Jesus said. We have what he did. We have a lot of his te we have a lot of his teachings, and we have all, every teaching that he gave that was recorded in the Gospels. We have all that. So when somebody says, "Well, Jesus wouldn't say this, or Jesus wouldn't do that, or Jesus whatever," because again, going back to my original statement, a lot of people in centuries past were heavy on God's just waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt the minute you mess up. Well, if you read the Bible in its totality, both the Old and New Testaments, we don't see that. Or at least we see if we see that to any to the degree that we do see it, it's not a complete picture of of what God of the the totality of God's nature. Okay, but now I feel like we might have overcorrected. We might have overcorrected in trying to balance out some of those unbalanced teachings on the judgment of God. I feel like our current generation, and not not just the present time, but really starting probably around the time I became a believer as I've gone back and I've looked at uh, you know, teachings from the 80s and the 90s and even earlier than that going back to the to the mid 20th century uh, and then going back even farther to uh, people like D.L. Moody and Oswald Chambers and things like that when you go back into that um, There's a there's a big difference. There's a big, definitely a big difference in emphasis on the nature of God. I feel like um, in the present day, that was done maybe as an attempt to. If, if you get a lot of teaching about the holiness of God, the judgment of God, His wrath, which are all biblical things and they are all true about God. But if today all we're hearing is God loves you, God forgives you, God is merciful, God is okay with you, you should love yourself because God loves you and you're made in his image and he just wants to wrap his arms around you and give you a big hug and if you were the only person alive on earth today, excuse me, if you were the only person alive um or if you were the only person that had ever sinned, or if you were the only person God ever made and you sinned, Jesus would have come and died for just you. Okay? Not that there's nothing wrong individually, maybe, with any of those statements, because all of them have their basis in the Bible. God does want to put his arms around us. God does love us. God does. And if we were the only person that had ever sinned, Jesus would have come and died just for us. And he, that none of, there's nothing wrong with that. But my problem is, is that when, if, for example, I'm just going to go ahead and start calling names out. If all you listen to is Joel Osteen, and you don't, and that's your primary source of biblical, if, if you listen to Joel Osteen and you never crack open the Bible, 
and you never read about the judgment of God, you're really going to be messed up theologically. You're not going to have a balanced view of God. You're not even going to have an accurate view of God. On the other hand, going to the other side, if all you ever hear is hellfire, brimstone, God's going to get you, and, uh, you know, uh, the mouth of hell is ever widening and it's expanding exponentially, if that's all you ever hear, then you're going to, your, your view of God is going to be colored by that. It's going to be unbalanced. It's not going to be good. It's going to be, if you go to a little church and that's all you ever hear is God's wrath, you never hear, or if you hear 90% God's wrath and 10% the love and grace of God, you're going to get an unbalanced view of what the Bible teaches. And I feel like that's what's happened with Jesus. I really do. I feel like we've gone so far the other direction that we emphasize the love, the mercy, the grace. the, And that's reflected in our music. The... I'm not much for the style of hymns, quite frankly. I find them a little bit boring as far as the, the music and how they are, how, the, you know, you got the organ and you got the whatever, and it's like a snore fest, okay? But if you read the lyrics of those hymns, they are so deep and so rich with truths about God. There's more than just the surface stuff that makes it sound like, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend and... Oh, it's, it's like a love song to Jesus that's, if you just take the word Jesus out, it could be played on any uh, secular pop station. Um, but the lyrics and the depth of meaning, especially when you know the stories behind some of those, are so rich and so, and so deep that if we could just take those and put them to modern music, I think that they would, you know, if if we took those hymns and we set them to a modern sound, I think that they would be so much better than a lot of what's being pushed out today. It's not not to say that there's anything wrong with those. I don't. If if I gave that impression, that was I didn't mean to. My point is, is that there's maybe there's nothing wrong with modern music today, uh, in and of itself, standalone, whatever. But if but it's a reflection of how I feel like we've kind of lost a certain depth or root to our faith and to our biblical understanding. And so that's been substituted with feel-good messages and feel-good songs and that give us warm fuzzies. But we're really missing out on so much more. There's so much more there. There's so And, it, and it's reflected in the lack of biblical knowledge, in the lack of uh, biblical worldview, only, I forget what it was, but I think it was back in the single digits percentage of people who have a biblical worldview in 2020. Um, and that's because a lot of our sermons, a lot of our music, just really, um, you don't get a lot, you don't get a lot of, uh, expositional preaching where you take a book and you just teach verse by verse through the book. You get um, a lot of topical things, a lot of pop psychology, 
all that stuff with some Bible verses thrown in as supporting as supportive of the point rather than reading through the scriptures verse by verse and then having other things that support what the scriptures say I feel like we've kind of gone the other way and this is true with uh, my whole point uh, that's why the title of this is the whole Jesus is because I feel like we're not getting the whole Jesus we are getting snapshots of Jesus in the Gospels where Jesus, you know, he's very loving. He's always trying to, um, always healing people, always forgiving people. He was just, you know, all, and he was, he was always loving people. That goes without saying. There was never a time when Jesus was acting, interacting with anyone that he didn't love them. Whether he was yelling at them, turning the table over, or whether he was healing them and telling them, uh, where are your accusers, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. All of those are expressions of love. Anger, properly expressed, can be an expression of love. If you're angry about what somebody's doing that is wrong, then that's loving toward them because you want you want them to be better and it's loving toward for others because you don't want them to be victims of that person's immorality so you want that person to repent and you don't want the effects of that person's immorality to to fall upon others that's a loving act but i feel like a lot of what is put out there, I, I feel like we get an unbalanced view of Jesus in the Gospels. The, the same, the same uh, Jesus who is called the Prince of Peace and who said to love our enemies also said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to turn a mother against her daughter, a father against a son, a husband against a wife, a brother against a sister. Uh, mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law a man's enemies will be those of his own household uh, if you love your son daughter uh, husband wife whatever more than me you are not worthy of me I will say to those who have uh, I, I will say to those who have said well didn't we cast out demons in your name didn't we do this and that in your name and I will look at them and say depart from me I never knew you I will look to those on my left and say um, depart from me you workers of iniquity into everlasting into everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels ginger get out of the closet hey Now, so my point, I'm sorry I had to yell at the cat, but uh, the, um, my whole point of that is, is that if all we hear is the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus, and we never hear some of those other statements, then we have an unbalanced view of Jesus. And on the flip side of that, if all you hear are those statements, and you never hear the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus, 
you're getting an unbalanced view of Jesus. And here's the main thrust and the main crux I wanna I wanted to get at with this podcast today. If all you hear about Jesus is in the four gospels, you're getting an unbalanced view of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I don't mean the Gnostic Gospels. Those are false documents. I'm not talking about that. But there is another account of Jesus that is not factored in when we're talking about who Jesus is and what he's really like. And when we make statements like um, a certain characteristic of Jesus, uh, you know, like that is who he is. Well, yeah, you can say that. But if all you're getting of Jesus is the four Gospels, then you're getting an incomplete an incomplete view of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, for, for starters, Jesus is a member of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one. They are three in their expressions, but they are one. They are three in their person, but they are one in their character. So the God of the Old Testament, who said that the um, to wipe out the Canaanites, men, women, and children, is the same God that is Jesus. They are one and the same. Jesus did that because Jesus, if, if, even if Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, didn't do that, even if it was God the Father making the decree, what I mean by that is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in complete agreement, were in complete unity with that decision. The flood, Noah's flood, Jesus the Son, had just as much to do with that as the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Even if God the Father was the one that was the primary, even if he was the one that did the action, the other members of the Trinity were in complete unity with that decision. It's not like they had a, a conference and really debated this between the three of them. Everything that they do is in concert with one another. That's why Jesus said, um, what my father does, you know, I, 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 I don't do what I, I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it. I don't say anything unless I've heard my father say it. The Holy Spirit that came to, comes after him was to lead him into all, was to lead us into all truth. But the Spirit testifies of Jesus. So they're, they're all acting in concert with one another. Father gave all authority to the Son. They're acting in complete unity all the time. So number one, if your complete view if your view of Jesus is just the four gospels, then you're number one, you're for, you're getting an unbalanced view because that same Jesus is the same Jesus who is a judge. Now that's also true, and that wasn't my main point again. My main point of this is we're getting an unbalanced view of Jesus himself because the book of Revelation reveals a lot about Jesus. The book of Revelation 
and the Gospels are talking about the same person, Jesus Christ. But if you read the book of Revelation, Jesus is doing stuff a whole lot different than he was doing in the Gospels. And that's because he's coming with a different role and view in mind. So for someone to say Jesus um, Jesus was not an angry person. Jesus was not um, Well, and I'm not saying he was an angry person. For someone to say that the um, the love of Jesus, um, Jesus was known more by his love than his anger. I feel like is a is what I heard in the sermon church this week is a mischaracterization of the relationship between anger and love and it it doesn't give a full picture of Jesus because when we look at Jesus in the book of Revelation okay well let, let me back up again for a minute Jesus had a specific role in mind when he came to earth for his earthly ministry. Jesus had a different role in mind. He, he was coming as the suffering servant. He was coming to lay the foundation for the church, to be an example for us as to how to live. And how to conduct ourselves. And the totality of what he taught should be balanced properly. But if we emphasize, again, the judgment part of Jesus, who talked about hell three times more than he talked about heaven. If we emphasize, we should emphasize what he did, and we should, we, we, we should, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay? We have a guy who, if we listen to a lot of sermons today, would get a false impression of Christ, I feel like. Again, he talked about hell three times more than he talked about heaven. Our church is doing that today. For every sermon do you hear that you hear about heaven, do you get three about eternal judgment? I'm guessing probably not in 2020. Of the 38 parables about that, of the 38 parables that Jesus gave, 26 of them were about how to manage possessions. Are three fourths of the sermons you hear today about how to manage possessions and how to? You know, I'm, I'm guessing probably not. Um, 
and there's so many more examples I could give of this. My point is, is that we have an unbalanced view of Jesus. And this has been a problem throughout church history. We, that we'll, we'll emphasize one thing so heavily, and then the pendulum will swing, and we'll go so far heavy the other direction. And that's unfortunate. That's, not, that's why I'm a big fan of expository preaching, where you take a book. And you go verse by verse through the book. If you do that, and you do that with all the books of the Bible, you're going to get a complete balanced view of everything as God intends to balance it. But if you don't do that, then you're not... If you don't do it that way, you're going to... You run a heavy risk of misrepresenting the character of God. And going back to what I was trying to say, the four Gospels, Jesus came with a specific purpose in mind as the suffering servant to lay the foundation for the church, because he is the foundation for the church, and to suffer and die on the cross and raise from the dead. He came as a suffering servant. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as meek and mild Jesus, suffering servant, saying, Oh, you got all these terrible things going on in the world and all these terrible things happening. People are acting so bad. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, 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 no. When Jesus comes back to earth, he's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back as someone who is going to... He's coming back to a world that has so lost its way that he's going to speak a word and he's going to kill all of his enemies by the spoken, but just by speaking a word. He's going to kill all of his enemies and then judge them at a, at a judgment called the judgment of, uh, the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. He's going to speak a word, and and then after that, he's going to set up a, a he's going to set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years on earth, where it says that he's going to rule. Um, basically, he's going to rule with an iron scepter. He's going. Um, he's not going to put up with. In other words, he's not going to ask, I've heard a, a preacher that I really like, John Hagee, say this. He's not going to ask the ACLU if it's alright to pray. He's not going to ask the United States Supreme Court what they think of gay marriage. He's not going to ask if uh, we should have a separation of church and state. He's going to rule... And what he says goes. Now there's going to be free will. And there are going to be people who will not accept him as savior. Even during the millennium. But his, but my point is. His word is going to be the law. And while you can reject him as savior. You're going to be accountable for living during the millennial kingdom. Under the laws of God. But if we just look at the four gospels. And the suffering servant who came to give his life and came to be an example of, uh, you know, and all that. And we go, well, that's Jesus. Yes, that is Jesus. But 
the book of Revelation Jesus is that same Jesus. And we need to have a proper view of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that encompasses the entirety of who God is. Jesus is not contrary to the Father. The Holy Spirit is not contrary to Jesus or the Father. The Father is not contrary to the Son. They are one and the same and they act in complete unity at all times. All times. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, from the Gospel of Matthew to the book of Revelation, it is the same God. Hebrews 13:8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we have an unbalanced view of Jesus that makes him seem like everybody's best friend who just can't wait to come hang out with you and just wants to, to love everyone regardless of what they're doing, never pronounce a harsh word, never be critical of anything or anyone, and who and who only gets angry 5% of the time, and 95% of the time he's all about healing and mercy and forgiveness and love, we got an unbalanced view of Jesus. And if all you emphasize then, like I said, I want to be clear, if all then you emphasize is the, the, the judgment of God and you know, judgment's coming, turn or burn, repent, and you never talk about the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. I, I've heard it explained this way. Ray Comfort explains this very well. If you, you go up to someone and you say, Jesus loves you and died for your sins. To a lot of people, that's not going to make sense because to most people, they think they're good. Most people, if you ask them, are they a good person, they'll say, yes, they are. And, and they're not, but they think they are because they're measuring themselves not by God's holy, perfect standard, but by, well, I'm better than most people or I'm better than the worst people, so I'm okay. I guess I'm all right. But that's not how God sees. God has an, a holy, unchanging perfect standard of righteousness and if we violate that even one time we're we're screwed <laughs> so it's not so if, if, if that's what we do if, if that's what we do if we just present God loves you God is merciful God wants to forgive you of your sins accept him as your savior today no, people need to understand how sinful their sin really is. And the way you do that is by saying, God, you know, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever uh, blasphemed? Have you ever committed adultery? Well, Jesus, have you ever hated someone? Well, hatred is the same as murder. Well, if you've ever looked with lust, Jesus said you've committed adultery in the heart. That's some pretty harsh stuff. And that came from the mouth of Jesus But if we're all we're focused on is this thing over here, oh Jesus just wants to love you and forgive you and and whatever. 
I'm sorry, you don't have a complete view of Jesus if that's all you know. Or if that's all you're teaching, then you're that's not good, okay? It might be I'm not assigning ill motive to that. I'm just saying that it's not a healthy view of God because a healthy view of God encompasses all of that with the love and the mercy and the grace and the judgment and the wrath of God all in one package. It all has to go together or it's not accurate on both sides. So, only after you've shown somebody how sinful they really are does the cure for that sin and the grace, mercy, and love really become only when people see themselves in the light of their sin do they understand how amazing the amazing grace of God really is. And by heavily emphasizing the love, mercy, grace of God and de-emphasizing anger, wrath, and judgment is not a balanced view of God. It's not a balanced view of Jesus. If all you, again, if all, if your only picture of Jesus is the four Gospels, then you don't know the whole complete Jesus until you've mixed that in and put it all together with the Jesus of the book of Revelation and the God of the Old Testament. All of that, the old and the new, belong together. If you're going to understand the full character of God, you have to understand it all. And so... Jesus did love. Jesus was merciful. Jesus has amazing grace far beyond any of us have the capacity to do on our own. I sure as heck would not, you know, if I'm being nailed to a cross, the last thing on my mind probably, even as a saved person, Unless I'm really walking in tune with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you the first thing going through my mind is not, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's probably more like, you guys better make sure you get the job done because if you don't, you're going to regret it, pal. That, honestly. And that's not right. I'm not defending myself and saying that that's a good way to be. I'm saying I'm being honest with you and saying that's where I'm coming from. Okay, <laughs> uh, and especially if you're gonna start nailing people I love to a cross, now, buddy, now, now even more so, um, you better run, buddy. It's, uh, if I if I'm able, as soon as I can find something, I'm disabled. I'm in a wheelchair, but as soon as I can find an equalizer, uh, you're in for it, pal. That's just, I'm just being upfront and honest with you, okay? So, I'm getting sidetracked, and I don't mean to, and I didn't mean to go over the hour, and I already have. 
but I wanted to be properly understood. I wanted to, I wanted you to hear what I'm saying and what I'm not. And if I if I would have just started with the last 20 minutes of this, and that would have been the only thing I said, I fear that I would have been misunderstood. What I'm trying to say here is that if all you get from Jesus, if all you understand of Jesus are sermons by others on both sides of this, and if all you read of Jesus is certain parts of the four Gospels, not all of them, not everything he said, or if all you read is the Gospels and don't couple that with the book of Revelation and what that says about Jesus. I mean, the, the title of the book itself, if you go to verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, if Jesus has already been revealed in the Gospels, then why does he need to be revealed in the book of Revelation? It's because we're getting a complete view of Jesus and the role in which he's going to be occupying when he returns, when he's sitting on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem for a thousand years. That combined with, not, not above and beyond, not instead of, but that coupled with the Jesus of the four Gospels. And the love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the willingness that all should uh, would come to repentance. Combine all of that together, then you have a complete view of God and what he has revealed to us about himself. But if we're just, and I feel, I, again, I feel like in 2020, not just, I'm not just picking on my own church here, or my own pastor, I'm saying as a whole, 2020, the evangelical church has really, really missed the boat on preaching the totality of the character of God. And I feel like it's it's really again there's a reason why some of the false doctrines and some of people are falling away from the faith and people who are in the church, people who are professing Christians are have some of the behavior and the lifestyle that they do or believe some of the things that they do or why there's statistically no difference between professing Christians and the rest of the world in some of the things that they partake in. That's because that's because we have an unbalanced view of Jesus and a whole lot of biblical illiteracy. And I'm guilty of this too in my own life to some degree as far as some of the things I enjoy watching, reading, listening to. I'm probably guilty of this as well. So I'm not saying anything as if I've got this perfectly figured out and I'm living it out perfectly. I'm sure not. If you're looking at me as the closest thing to Jesus as far as being following him 
in all the best ways, I'm not the guy for that. <laughs> okay? I, I would like to think that when it comes to teaching and understanding the principles of the Word of God, I would like to hope that I'm a lot better than a lot of what I hear out there. I hope. That's what I seek to be. But if you're looking at me as the perfect example of turning around and living that out in all of its forms, um, not perfectly, but even, I'm not saying that I'm striving, you know, that, that I'm perfect here, but even, even in a really good way, am I living that out in an exceptional way? Not always, probably not. So I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal and say that, you know, some of these other people, I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm seeking to do. I'm saying I'm looking at things as they are, as objectively as I can, and say I'm looking at the condition of the church. I'm looking at the fall-away rate. I'm looking at the, the sins that are accepted in the church as okay, as good, and woohoo, isn't that nice? Because uh, God's grace and love covers us all. And I'm saying it's no wonder that we so easily are trapped in those ways of thinking when we're not teaching the whole Jesus. And when we're not teaching... I mean, Andy Stanley, for goodness sake, he's, he's a whole... Has, has come right out and said, well, um, maybe we should de-emphasize the Old Testament. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, he's come out, talked, he gives sermons against the Ten Commandments or against, uh, not maybe against them, but against emphasizing them today because it's part of the law. Well, I'm sorry, but every, every one of the Ten Commandments, with the exception of keeping the Sabbath, is repeated in the New Testament. And the only reason why the Sabbath wasn't is because Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But every other one of those commandments are in the New Testament. But I, I, I'm not saying Andy Stanley hates the Old Testament. I'm not saying that he is doesn't believe in the holiness of God. I'm saying that when you come out and you make statements and you have whole sermons saying that it's time for us to leave the Old Testament behind or to de-emphasize it to such a degree in favor of the New Testament, then you're really having a, a very incorrect emphasis on the character of God. You're really, really, really focused highlighting certain things and really over here on the other side to the detriment of other aspects of God's character. And it's the exact reverse of what's happened other times in church history. Again, I'm acknowledging that there's been some abuses in the hellfire brimstone. God's going to get you. Uh, you know, you preach a sermon and you can smell the fire. You can smell the smoke of hell on your clothes when you leave the church. <laughs> okay? That's not good either. But I'm just, I'm really concerned when some of our really large churches, and I'm not, you know, to those of you who know what inspired this podcast, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to call names out here. I'm not trying to... I'm, I'm really putting myself out on a limb, limb here and maybe putting myself at risk um, in a certain context, in a certain way. Not physically, not, I'm not putting myself in danger. But I'm putting myself out there as far as how this could come back on me. And I'm okay with that. That's, that's total, I'm totally fine with that. I should have done this a few months ago with when I had a problem with something else. But I'm doing it now. Because I feel like it needs to be said. Um, and I'm not doing this out of anger or hatred toward anyone specifically. Or out of... I'm doing this out of concern for the body of Christ as a whole. Because... Some things I've heard recently aren't isolated incidents, and they aren't isolated to one particular church or congregation or type of church and congregation. It's a big problem in Christendom as a whole right now that we are de-emphasizing the holiness and the, the wrath of God. When's the last time you heard a sermon preached on the book of Revelation? When is the last time you heard a series preached on it? I'm not saying your church has never done it. I'm saying when is the last time? When is the last time you heard a sermon about prophecy? 28% of the Bible was prophetic at the time it was written. It's, three, it's between a quarter and three-tenths of God's word. We, might as well, we could round it up to 30% or we could round it down to one-fourth. But either way, that's a huge chunk of the Bible. When's the last time... Is, is, one, is one out of every four the sermons in your church, do, do, does it contain prophecy? I'm guessing probably not. That's a huge problem. That's a big problem. We have a huge problem in the church of emphasizing certain aspects of the Bible and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit Father, Son, we, we have such a bad habit in the church of emphasizing certain things to the detriment of others. And that's the reason for this podcast. So I hope I haven't been misunderstood or, or, or whatever. And to be honest with you, I don't, have a, I don't have a big platform. Whether we're talking about my written blog or... Or this podcast. I don't know how many people are going to hear and read this. Initially, probably not very many. Probably just people I know. Because most of the people I know, at least as far as I can tell by the numbers and what I look at with my with my blog and what I look at with my listening audience, there's probably a handful of people that will listen to what I read or listen to what I say or read what I write. But they aren't, you know, it's not being massively shared. My audience isn't growing. <laughs> um, I wish it were. That would be great. I would love to have a big platform where I could influence a lot of people directly with what I'm saying. And the messages that I try to get out there. But I don't have it, at least not yet. That's not to say I never will, but I don't right now. So, I don't know that this... The things that I write... The things that I say, I don't know that they're going to bring mass change. Probably not. 
because it's not and even if millions of people were listening half of them would probably just go I don't like that and then they would stop um, people like to hear things they agree with and not too many things that they don't and then if people and people say something then they don't like to hear that challenged they go well I disagree with you and here's why which is basically what this is this is a podcast of me disagreeing with some things that I've heard and rather than just keeping it to myself I'm putting it out there in the most respectful way that I that I know how to do without watering it down and I've tried to do so without throwing specific people or things under the bus I have mentioned named names I mentioned Anley Stanley I've mentioned John Hagee I've mentioned um, Joel Osteen. I've, I, you know, I have named some names, but I'm not. Per, I'm not trying to personally attack anyone, even the people I've mentioned. I'm trying to bring a focus to a concern that I have about a major trend in the church that I keep seeing over and over and over and over and over again in churches that I've been to, in churches that I serve in or have served in in the past, uh, or a church, you know, church that I continue to want to serve in in the future, I see this happening. And I'm concerned by it. Especially in our day when the world is so dark, when we have people that don't know how to give a good apologetics argument, uh, don't know how to defend the faith, don't know a proper biblical response to some of the things we're seeing in our world such as um, the riots that are happening um, the Black Lives Matter movement which is a Marxist organization um, and a racist organization um, so many Christians are just glomming onto these things because they sound good because Black Lives Matter, because the statement itself um, is correct, because Black Lives do matter. But they glom onto that, and then they, they think that it's wrong to come out against that, because they don't realize that people who are coming out against Black Lives Matter aren't coming out against Black Lives, and they're not saying Black Lives don't matter. They're saying that we're against Marxism, and we're against racism when it goes the other direction. And we see what they say, and we see what they mean, and we, we've, we've gone and we've looked at what they intend. We've listened to people who, are, who founded the Black Lives Matter movement, who founded the Black Lives Matter Inc., and it is a corporation, by the way. It's Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is an actual thing. That's the people that are behind all these protests and riots and the violence and the murder and the looting. That's what's behind all this, people. So when I say I'm against Black Lives Matter, I'm not making a racist statement against black people. Black lives do matter. But all lives matter. And that's not a racist statement. And for somebody to say it is, is asinine and quite frankly stupid. If you say all lives don't, if, if you say it's wrong to say all lives matter, that is an utterly stupid statement. 
And I'm not afraid to say that, and I will not apologize to anyone for saying so. So, I don't know what's going to happen when I post this, but whatever does, does. Again, I'm not trying to come off as bitter or hateful or angry toward anyone, even though I disagree with a lot of this, the emphasis that's being placed today on a lot of things and the de-emphasis of things that I consider very important especially when it comes to the character of God in Jesus and when it comes to the fact that we never in the church at large we hardly ever hear prophetic sermons anymore and it's not just because I have an, an, an obsession with end times events and all that or you know that's my little pet thing that I like reading about it's because when you study the end times, when you study prophecy, you're getting a revelation of the complete picture of Jesus. Again, the four Gospels and the heavy emphasis, which I agree, the four Gospels do emphasize, they, they do talk about the judgment. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about judgment. He does talk about hell three times more than he talks about heaven. But he does his mission in his earthly ministry again was about the love and the forgiveness and that's why I'm here God is reaching out an olive branch to you and I'm that olive branch I am right now everybody on earth is under the wrath of God <laughs> okay we are all, if I don't do what I came here to do which is as a substitutionary sacrifice for all of you then you're all lost forever. I came here as the bridge between you and God. That's what Jesus came here to do the first time. But if we say that that is, that is the totality of Jesus' character and his nature, then it's not. <laughs> okay, it's just not. And that's all I'm trying to say with this. And as usual, I took the long way down a short path. I could have said all this probably in 20 minutes. And I took an hour and close to an hour and a half. And I understand that and I'm sorry that it's so long. But I, this is really on my heart. If you notice, my podcasts haven't been daily like they were for so long I but when I've got something on my heart and again I all my Genesis study that I've been doing with the preset ministries that's all moved over to my written blog because I feel like I can express it better that way over there but when I've got something that's really on my heart and I want to be properly understood it's best to speak it out loud it's best to say it and so that's what this podcast is so i don't know when i'm going to be back for another podcast it might be tomorrow <laughs> might be next week it might be a month from now but i'll be back soon and thank you all for taking the time to listen those of you that did if you have questions or objections or you want to reach out to me i'm not going to bite your head off <laughs> um 
I would love to hear from you. I hope that I've expressed myself clearly. And by the way, this is America, so nobody should feel like that they shouldn't or can't. So, there we go. Steve Johnson, this has been the Wisdom on Wheels podcast, and I sincerely hope that I have succeeded in my endeavor to impart some wisdom to all of you today. God bless and bye for now.